0: Okay, back to Job. Uh, If you'll remember, Zophar has just spoken. Uh, His message basically has been the same thing of his two predecessors, Eliphaz and Bildad, but there's a sense in which he's kind of gone off the deep end, gone a little bit further than the other two two did. Uh, He was very blunt in his presentation to Job, but he says basically, ultimately, the same thing as the other two have said, and that is Job, your circumstances are an indication that you have sinned very, not just sinned a little bit, you've sinned very greatly, and therefore the best thing you could do for yourself is to repent, and if you repent, then God's going to forgive you, and that's going to be the end of your suffering, etc, etc, etc. He's been a little bit less merciful than his other two predecessors, because at one point, he even goes so far as to say to Job that your sins are far worse than what you're you're getting. You deserve worse than what you've actually gotten. And all you need to do, the same thing that he's heard from his other two friends, is all you need to do is repent of your sin and God will bless you and heal you. And, you know, your, your riches will be returned to you and your life will be wonderful and and all of this but we understand that their theology falls short and we understand that probably this is the very theology that that job himself espoused for many many years what sometimes is called by scholars as retribution theology and it's the idea that all suffering that comes to people is a direct result of their own particular sin now let me just tell you all all suffering is a product of sin, but it's not necessarily uh, the sin of the person who's suffering. And Jesus is the very best example of that. That we can we can suffer in the same way as Christians. That sometimes is, and, and God tells us this will in fact happen. That the world hated Him, and therefore the world will hate us. Which means that as Christians, sometimes doing the right thing will mean that we will suffer from the world as a result of it. And I will say to you this morning, that is not something that we just derive from the New Testament. It's all over the Old Testament as well. That the problem with these guys is they all had tunnel vision. They had these well-defined boundaries that their theology allowed them to go to, but not beyond those. And because that is true, they were missing on some of the very greatest blessings that God bestows upon people. But anyway, we're going to be reading this morning Job's response to Zophar. Three chapters, so hold on. Job answered and said, No doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you but I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you who does, not, who does not know such things as these. I'm a laughingstock to my friends. I, who called to God and he answered me, a, a just and blameless man, am a laughingstock. In the thought of one who is at ease, there is contempt for misfortune. It is ready for those whose feet slip. The tents of robbers are at peace and those who provoke God are secure who bring their god in their hand but ask the beasts and they will teach you the birds of the heaven and they will tell you or the bur- bushes of the earth and they will teach you and the fish of the sea will declare to you who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this do you understand what job is saying It's everything all nature crying out that, that i'm suffering at the hand of god Everything, everybody understands that. In his hand is the life of everything and the breath of all mankind. Does not the ear test words as the palate tastes food? Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. With God or wisdom and might, he has counsel. understanding if he tears down none can rebuild if he shuts a man in none can open if he withholds the waters they dry up if he sends them out they overwhelm the land with him are strength and sound wisdom Uh, the deceived and the deceiver are his he leads counselors always stripped and judges he makes fools he looses uh, the bonds of kings and binds a waistcloth on their hips. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows the mighty. He deprives of speech those who are trusted and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes. He loose, uh, loosens the belt of the strong. He uncovers the deep out of darkness and brings death darkness to light. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a pathless waste. They grope in the dark without light and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Behold, my eye has seen all this. My ear has heard and understood it. In other words, you're not telling me anything I don't know. What you know, I also know. I'm not inferior to you, but I would speak to the Almighty and desire to argue my case with God. As for you, you whitewashed uh, with lies, worthless physicians, are you all? Oh, that you would keep silent and it would be your wisdom. Hear now my argument and listen to the pleadings of my lips. Will you speak falsely for God and speak deceitfully for him? Will you show partiality toward him? Will you plead the case for God? Will it be well with you when he searches you out? Or can you you deceive him as one deceives a man? He will surely rebuke you if in secret you show partiality. Will not his majesty uh, terrify you and the dread of him fall upon you? Your maxims are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay." Let me have silence, and I will speak, and let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in my hand? Though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my ways to his face. This will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. Keep listening to my words, and let my declaration be in your ears. Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right Who is there who will contend with me? For then I would be silent and die. Only grant me two things, then I will not hide myself from your face. Withdraw your hand far from me and let not dread of you terrify me. Then call and I will answer or let me speak and you reply to me. How many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face and count me as an enemy? Will you frighten a driven leaf and pursue dry chaff? For you uh, write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in the stocks and watch all my paths and set a limit for the soles of my feet. Man, waste away like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. Man who is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers he flees like the shadow and continues not. <clears throat> and do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me into judgment with you? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you, and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass, look away from him and leave him alone that you may enjoy like a hard hand this, his day. For there is hope for a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its shoots will not cease. Though its roots grow old in the earth, and its stump die in the soil, yet at the scent of water it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. But a man dies is is laid low, man breathes his last, and where is he? As waters fail from a lake, and a river wastes away and dries up, so a man lies down and rises not again till the heavens are no more. He will not waste or be roused out of his sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, that you would counsel me until your wrath be past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service I will wait till my renewal shall come you would call and i would answer you you would long for the work of your hands for then you would number my steps you would not keep watch over my sin my transgression would be sealed up in a bag and you would cover over my iniquity but the mountain falls and crumbles away and the rock is removed from its place the waters wear away the stones the torrents wash away the soil of the earth So, you you destroy the hope of man. You prevail forever against him, and he passes. You change his countenance and send him away. His sons come to honor, and he does not know it. They are brought low, and he perceives it not. He feels only the pain of his own body, and he mourns only for himself. Lots of words, deep words. Obviously, obviously, I think you would have probably agree with me if we could spend a long time just stuttering, uh, studying what we just read. Uh, we have a lot of Bible to cover, and so I decided early on that we were going to, in essence, just skim through the Book of Job. You need to understand that. We're not going to even, even pick apart every aspect of things that we could easily bring to the surface. Uh, Just in these three verses we've read this morning, much less the book of Job, uh, you know, we could easily spend the rest of most of our lifetimes doing nothing but studying this book. But we have a lot more to do. But at the same time, we want to glean as much as we possibly can from this very precious and most important book. And so we're trying to do that. Because of that, I'm not going to be talking about what these other three guys, what Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar have to say about anything because they're just stuck records. You know what a stuck record is? It just keeps saying the same thing over and over again. So we're not even going to look at what they say. We're going to concentrate more on the things that our, our dear friend Job says in response to the things that they Bring to light. And I just want to challenge us as we begin this morning to remember something that there is a character that is very much involved in all of this, it's not central right now, we haven't seen anything of him or heard of him for a while, but just remember that Satan is still in this picture, he's not removed from it, that he's actively involved in what is going on here, uh, he is the enemy of Job and he is doing everything he can to make his life miserable as possible. so let's not forget about the evil one and before I move on I want to read for you what Peter writes in his first epistle because it applies to you and me as well be sober minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour he is still around he is still at large He's still actively involved, and what he loves to do more than anything else is to grab the people of God by the nose and lead them astray. We need to be forever on watch for him and his devices because there is nothing he wants more than to lead you away from God, and he will do anything and everything in his power to do that. Okay? Okay? So don't have the idea that this guy, this, this being, this angelic, once angelic, now demonized being, that truly does exist, that he's completely out of the picture. He's here. He's probably celebrating in the background because he, he loves to see people in torment. He loves to see people suffering. And we know that Job is actually doing that. And we have to remember that he's deceived to the point that he really believes that at the end of all of this, his will is going to be done, not God's. You wonder why in the world he continues to do what he's doing, even today. And there can only be one conclusion. That is, he is so deceptive that he has deceived himself into believing that somehow, some way, he's going to be able to dethrone God in the end. But we know that that will never, ever happen. We know that as much as he thinks he is using the circumstances here and whatever to his advantage, God's actually allowing him to do this for the advantage of Job. (laughs) And not only Job, but all the people that read the book of Job down through the generations for you and I. One of the things the book of Job should remind us of this is that Satan is real. That he he, he would love to eat your lunch there's only one thing that keeps that from happening, and that is that Christ is there for you, and he protects you. So for that reason and no other reason, you and I can have confidence that he cannot, he will not ever snatch us away from the hand of God. He's going to try all he can. He's going to do anything he can. But you and I have assurance of our salvation, right? The only reason we can have that is because, a lot of reasons, but one of the things is this, is we know that Satan has no power over us unless we let him. He would love, he would relish the opportunity to sift you like Jesus is the only thing that keeps that from happening. See, so I just want to challenge us with the idea that Satan's not only part of, of Joe's picture still, he's a part of our picture still. Never forget it. I mean, there's a sense in which these three fellas that are such good friends of Job's are acting almost like the puppets of the evil one. There are people out there that would serve the same purpose in our own lives. I want to say something this morning. I have a head cold. (laughs) I just say that because you may see me sniffling and see me maybe cough a little bit. Uh, I don't have COVID. (laughs) You have to avoid me like the plague. Uh, But I am staying away from each you guys as much as I can because I don't want to give anybody my head colds. Okay, but it's not for some other reason. Okay, let's look at this chapter by chapter just a little bit. And again, you know, we could spend the next year on each one of these chapters, easily. Uh, I find myself restrained every week. <laughs> I can make these sermons that are rather long in the, begin, you know, in, the, in, in the end a whole lot longer than they are. And I feel like very often we leave chapters without covering a lot of the very important stuff. But at the same time, we, we need to be working ourselves uh, further ahead in this. Well, in chapter 12, let me just kind of summarize what is, at least in the beginning of chapter 12, and that is basically, Job is just saying this, that in essence, every living thing, not just people, but every living thing, understands that my suffering comes at the hand of God. Including his friends, the beasts, even the bushes, and the fishes. They all understand that the source of his tribulation is God. In essence, they understand that Satan is only doing what God allows him to. Job really doesn't need anyone to tell him this. He already knows it. The problem with Job is not that. It's not that that he's struggling with. The the thing that Job is struggling with is, I understand that, that all of my affliction comes at the hand of God. What I'm struggling with, the question I'm struggling with, is why me? Why is it that I have been afflicted so much as I have been? As wise as Job is, he has not a clue why his life is crumbled around him. None of it makes any sense to him at all. He's lost. But I want us to see something very importantly here, and that is this. is that Even though he questions God, and he does question God a number of times all through this book. What are you doing? Why are you doing it to me? His faith in God does not waver. He doesn't get to the point where he denies God. He doesn't get to the point where he denies God has any right. He doesn't get to the point where he's ready to give up on God. But he does question God. This question basically is, out of all the people, Why me? Sixteen and shortly after that, he goes into a diatribe on all the different people that are recognized as being the wise ones and this, that, and the other in the world. And basically what Job is saying here is this is, is, is as if none of them can even understand why it would be true. Not counselors, not judges, not kings, not priests, not those who are trusted, not the elders, not the princes, not the strong, not the nations or the chiefs of the people. No one understands it. No one would understand it. Notice here in a lot of these verses, he ascribes the omnipotence of God and the sovereignty of God in absolutely every matter. He makes nations great in 23 and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people. Let me tell you something. If you ever come across anyone who thinks they have every answer for every question y'all might have about stuff, you need to run from them like a scalded dog. Unfortunately, there are people who fall into that category. Let me tell you something. If you come to me sometimes and you say, "What?" you tell me what a certain what should I do? You know what I'm going to say? I don't know. <laughs> I have to think about that and reflect upon it and pray about it and you uh, this that and the other maybe we'll come to some understanding of it but none of us has all the answers to all of our questions but there are some people and there actually are leaders in churches sometimes who think that they do have answers to all the questions what i would tell you is this is the people that I consider to be the most, the, the most mature who understand that there are things we know matter-of-factly. No doubt about it, it's clear, as it can be clear, but at the same time, there are mysteries associated with our faith. In other words, people who know where the boundaries are that we cannot cross over, but at the same time understand that there are areas where we not only should, but we must give ground to fellow believers. But they cannot be the cent- essential, central things of the Christian faith. We're talking about the more peripheral kind of things. Well, the truth is this, is we know that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Scripture tells us that. The Bible tells us that every living being is going to stand before God and give an account for themselves. We're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. (laughs) My whole point here is that Job wants to have an audience with God. That's what he's pleading for him in a number of places. He wants to appear before God's court. He's asking for that opportunity. Because all he needs in his own mind is to have that opportunity to address God under those circumstances. And if he does that, he really believes that he's going to be able to give himself an adequate defense. In other words, there's a sense in which he believes he's gonna be he's gonna be able to show God where God's wrong in this. Sorry. Scared me worse than it did you can you imagine? This is how much Job is convinced of his absolute innocence. the fact of the matter is this is job is going to get that audience he's going to get that opportunity later on the book you know what he's going to say in essence shut my mouth (laughs) shut my mouth how could I be so arrogant how could I be so bold as to make any kind of demand upon God whatsoever No one knows Job's heart but Job. No one knows your heart but you, except for God. And the truth of the matter is, God knows you absolutely perfectly. You do not. We will all one day have an audience. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's all over the place in the Bible. It will not go well for unbelievers. They will have the mentality that Job has had kind of up to this point, and that is, they're gonna, you, you, most, a lot of them believe and have this idea, well, maybe there is a God. Maybe I will stand before him one of these days. But I know that I'll be able to convince him that I'm a really good person. So what I'm telling you is, I mean, basically this is this is the the mentality of so many people that we would classify as unbelievers. Because even many unbelievers, even when I was an unbeliever, I didn't go to the point that I have definitive absolute evidence that God doesn't exist. It's just in looking at things, I don't see why that's likely or even possible. But I can tell you now, as a believer, that it is almost insanity to look upon creation, to look upon life and particular people, and believe that this is all just a result of freak accidents and happenstance that have taken place. Over a very long time, what I would tell you is, a believer and as a scientist, that creation itself screams that there must in fact be a God. That there must in fact be a creator. And that man is special in the realm of things. We are the only creatures that are said to be made in God's image. That we have fallen into sin. We followed after Adam and Eve. Job is baffled. He's wondering, what in the world are you doing? You ever wonder that? You ever find yourself in a particular circumstance and you're going, Lord, what are you doing here? I can't see it. I don't understand it. But I know you're there. And I know your perfect will and purpose is being worked out in absolute detail when it comes to everything, even my own life. Do you ever wonder, what, Lord, are you doing? Chapter Thirteen. Really, basically, the synopsis here is that the Job is saying to Zophar, "You're really not telling me anything. I don't already know. You're just going. You, you, know, you, you. you know, the other guy, Bildad, accused me of just saying a whole bunch of stuff and not really saying anything at all. Basically, called me a windbag, someone who talks a lot of words but in those words doesn't really say much of anything." He's basically saying to Zophar, all the stuff you're talking about, even the bushes know it. You think I'm so dumb that I don't? Chapter 13, Job kind of goes more on the defensive. and He's saying to him things like, ultimately, are you, you think you're telling me stuff I don't already know? You haven't said anything I don't know already. You're not adding anything to the conversation. He also asserts his equality, if not superiority, in wisdom over his friends. The problem is they're the ones who believe that they are superior in their understanding of everything, including the circumstances that Job is in. The funny thing about it is this, is none of Job's friends defend him before God. That in the end, guess who defends them from God? Job does. When Job gets that opportunity to respond to God, his basic response is, shut my mouth. What can I say? He will be given the audience that he wants, and it won't go very well. (laughs) Certainly not like he thought it would. (laughs) I mean, he will. I I can't speak for him positively, but I would say this: that when all is said and done, Joe would be wishing that he wish he had not even said a word. Just remember, already in this book, Job has alluded to the fact that he needs an arbiter. He needs a mediator. He needs someone who stands between him and God. It was true for him. It's true for you. And it's true for me. None of us stand a chance of standing on our own. We have literally nothing. We have no case to present on our own behalf before God, none of us. We have a big advantage over Job. He was obviously a very spiritual man. Did he have a great love for God? You bet he did. Remember how he worshiped God every day. And, you know, he was just devoted wholeheartedly to his God. And that sort of thing. I wish that our lives looked like his to some degree. <laughs> but the fact is, this is we all need that arbiter. We all need that mediator. That only those who have that person will stand in God's judgment, will stand in God's courtroom. Only them. Well, sometimes people have the idea: well, believers are not going to. Believers are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You are. Are you ready to do that? Do you ever think that if just given the opportunity you could explain some stuff to God? (laughs) How arrogant can you possibly be? How arrogant can I possibly be? God understands he's got the whole, you don't, none of us ever has the whole picture. God has absolutely every detail of everything. He sees it all. He knows all. So whose judgment do we really want to trust in? Our own limited judgment or the judgment of Almighty God? All people will have their opportunity and there will be people arrogant enough to believe that they can present their case before God and show him where he has erred show him why he is wrong they will not only fail they will fail miserably. See, you and I have a very great advantage over Old Testament believers. And that is this, they look forward to the coming of a Savior. We, on the other hand, are on the other side of the coming of that Savior. That's what we're celebrating uh, here through Christmas. Christmas. Is the coming of our arbiter, our mediator, the one who stands on our behalf in God's court, who speaks your name in the heavenly places as we speak right now. He is there representing you in God's courtroom unrelentingly. Do you understand that we have less of an excuse than anybody that lived in the Old Testament? Because we have a much clearer view of the whole picture. In other words, we should be able to look back on Job and understand why he maybe came to some wrong conclusions about some things because he did not have all the information that you and I do. You and I have the most important information that anyone could ever have, and that is that Jesus has come, and Jesus has lived, and Jesus has died, and Jesus is resurrected, and he's ascended back into heaven for me, that I would have salvation in him. Job didn't know all that stuff. Do you understand that we have less ground for living unholy lives than people in the Old Testament did? Because we've been enlightened in ways they were not. There's a sense in which you and I are more accountable than Old Testament believers were. We haven't seen all of the picture yet, but we've seen a lot more of the big picture than they had. We have the benefit of knowing a whole lot more. Well, I hate to rush through this stuff. Chapter 14, Job asks a question. Who can bring a clean thing out of unclean? What's his conclusion? There isn't any. What would you say to that? Is there? Is there a way for the clean to make the unclean clean? Is there? Yes. Yes. His name is Jesus. Job was wrong. That person does exist. His name is Jesus Christ. He makes you the filthy, nasty, dirty, arrogant one, squeakly clean. There's not a person that has lived that is so bad they can't be saved by Jesus Christ. Chapter 14, verse 14. If a man dies, shall he live again? Job, in essence, was saying, what do you say? (laughs) I hope you say, yes, he will, or yes, he can. Why? Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we see and we know very clearly compared to the Old Testament saints, even the most saintly of them. See, Job didn't have the rest of the story, but you and I do. Maybe not all of it, but we got a bigger chunk than Job had by a long shot. The story is still unfolding, right? It's not over yet. We're still in the middle pages. Maybe we're getting close to the end, who knows? Some people believe that the end's is upon us. But one of these days, this story's going to come, this book is going to come to an end. And on that day, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But it had to have a beginning. Jesus had to have a beginning. Not Jesus the eternal Son of God. We're talking about Jesus, the man. He had to become a man to do all the things for us that we are not willing and even are not capable of doing for ourselves. To live a perfect life that we do not live. To live that life For us that he can bestow his righteousness upon fallen sinners like us that we can be made perfectly right in the eyes of God not because of what we have done but because of what he has done for us is that something worth celebrating <laughs> and all kinds of people saying, "No, the church should not really be celebrating Christmas, you know, with Christmas trees and things like that." And you know, all the talk comes about all the, you know, used to be used in pagan this that, and I don't give a flip if that used to be used in some kind of a pagan worship first. It's got nothing to do with my worship. You know, when I look at a Christmas tree, what I see is life. I love the green. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a naturalist. I'm a theistic naturalist. You need to understand that. But I love nature. You know, I have this degree in, in, in biology, and I love biology, and I study plants and animals and stuff like that, and, there's, and, and greenery to me just, just screams and yells, Life! Life! We had somebody leave the church years ago because we had the audacity of putting a Christmas tree up in the sanctuary at Christmas time. Because that comes from some pagan, this, that, and the other, and whatever. I don't really care. The only thing I care about is what it means to me. Notice there's a star on top of it, it's not just a tree, <laughs> it's a special tree. And I just pray that as we're studying through this book of Job, that our understanding of Christ and all that he encompasses will grow. And our appreciation for him will grow. And we will celebrate all of that as we celebrate this particular holiday. Let me tell you, if we can't celebrate this, I don't know what in the world we possibly would be worth celebrating. And I'm not talking about just a little bit. I'm talking about to the utmost. And that we would do it year after year after year and and week after week, day after day, hour after hour. That we would just be filled with delight and joy in this Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved me and came and did for me what I can't do for myself, that I won't do for myself, that I don't want to do for myself. To claim me as his own, where I will be blessed beyond my comprehension of what blessing is. I will live for him in absolute perfect paradise for all of eternity, never ending, never anything bad, ever again. Let me tell you, if we can't celebrate the mess out of that, I don't know what we possibly could celebrate. Can you think of anything better? Can you think of any greater message than that simple message? There's not one. And if you don't get it, you and I need to talk. Because when you know it, the tide is not going to hold back your celebration. It's coming. Get out of the way. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.